Hey fellow brain pickers, how would you like to get featured as a guest on multiple podcast shows like this one and get massive exposure? Getfeatured.media will get you featured on targeted shows. They'll design a custom bio page, pitch you to the hosts, schedule a time, prepare you for the shows and promote you so you get even more brand exposure. Head over to getfeatured.media to get major publicity for your brand. Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast, where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help you become unstoppable. Now, here's your host, Daniel Geffen. Hi, fellow brain pickers, and welcome to episode 62 of Can I Pick Your Brain? My guest today is a mindful, red-headed, headband-wearing, ultra-spiritual, gluten-intolerant, meat-hating, downward-dog-loving, self-transformational coconut oil connoisseur who loves to unconfuse people with his incredibly funny-induced wisdom on topics ranging from depression to essential oils. J.P. Sears, otherwise known as the New Age Buddha, is on a mission to unmask the face of the world's biggest problem. Shame. We live in a generation that craves raw authenticity, but doesn't quite know what it looks like. Until now. JP was sent to this earth by God-fearing atheists to create YouTube videos which reveal the secrets that have been kept hidden for centuries. His YouTube channel has over 32 million views, minus the ones that he paid people in the Philippines to click on. It is with the utmost pleasure and honor to welcome the one and only Macaroni, J.P. Sears. J.P., welcome to the show, and thanks for letting me pick your brain. Man, well, that was the most amazing intro I have ever heard. Are you serious? My hat's off to you. I apologize that the little logistical, technical deal killed the momentum there, but... Man, I think we should end this discussion right now because that was that was just poetic. That was beautiful. You know, <laughs> so awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, guess what? I I was inspired by your videos, and it was the inspiration uh, from those videos that allowed me to put together this masterful intro. So, thank you. I love it. I love how you just gave me credit for your brilliance. I I think this is the beginning of a very dysfunctional yet comfortable codependent relationship. This is great. And I think I've, speaking of codependent relationships and dysfunction, I think I've already um, missed your expectations because I just real quick, uh, before we went on air, you said, JP, whatever you do, don't leave me hanging after I intro you. And then here's this logistical issue. Mm-hmm. At least what I'm telling you is a logistical issue where I leave you hanging. Well, I, man, I, they, I don't know if my listeners will know about it because I'm going to cut it out. You see, I'm going to edit it out. So, so now oh. what you've just said makes absolutely no sense. So everybody listening to this is going to be thinking, what the hell is this guy talking about? But they will be saying, Daniel deceives us. He's cutting out things from the conversation. Well, I usually don't, but uh, I usually let things go and, and leave it raw because it's usually good enough. But uh, you've, you've screwed that up. So now, JP, before we get into tackling this bad boy nemesis called shame, uh, did you grow up shameless? What, what was little JP like? Yeah, you know, sh- shameless sort of. Shameless is a funny word. I think... 
shameless really means full of shame yet we're <laughs> we're in a place of being disconnected from our shame trying to avoid it so excuse me so we appear shameless we act shameless and we might even feel shameless but we have a lot of shame-based behaviors and shame-based uh, beliefs of ourself at a deep level. So yes, I, I grew up full of shame and therefore uh, shameless. Um, you know, I, I think there's two types of people in this world, mm -hmm. those who are very emotionally wounded mm -hmm. and then those who are in denial of being very emotionally wounded. Mm -hmm. And I think shame is, oh man, I mean, it's a not a very poetic subject. However, it is a a part of the human condition, and shame is, the, uh, in my experience, the most painful emotion that we can uh, 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 encounter mm. as a person. So I had plenty in my life can, growing what up. What was your most shameful moment that you can remember from your childhood? So the the memory that always comes up, one of my most shameful experiences. I was actually two. And that's a, a relatively early memory to Wow, uh, you recover. actually remember that memory? <laughs> yeah, jeez. Yeah, well, I, re I remember the memory. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was two, and we were in you know our old house growing up. My mom, my dad, my sister are sitting around the dining room table, and it was a Saturday. I don't know how the heck I remember. It was a Saturday mm -hmm. evening, and uh, there was pizza on the table, specifically from a place called Jojo's Pizza in Toledo, mm. Ohio. And I went, I, my old two-year-old hands, I reached in, grabbed a piece of pizza from the box, and my father screamed at me. Uh, and I think what he said was just, hey. But it was a very, I mean, two, it, especially <laughs> from the point of view of two-year-old JP, it might as well be a sword piercing through me. I mean, it, it was just very scary. So I dropped the piece of pizza and sat back. And, and without analyzing why my father, like I can probably understand now, like why my father yelled at me. I, I, but at the time, I, I felt wrong. I didn't feel what I was doing wrong uh, was wrong. I felt I am wrong. It's like I'm I'm not okay being the way I am, or else I wouldn't be uh, getting this anger from my father. So you know, and in the scheme of things, that probably looks like just a little blink of an eye on the um, radar, but that penetrated deep. For me, and, and the evidence that I still uh, that that might be true is the fact that I still remember it to this day. I think sometimes the most impactful pain we experience is either the pain that we remember the most, or the pain that we're completely blacked out on and have no memory of it. I think it tends to go in one of those two directions. You know what's incredible about you, JP, is that you're hilariously funny, but at the same time you're you're extremely deep and intellectual. And sometimes it's like hard to know. <laughs> when you're being funny or when you're being real <laughs> it's like your wife I mean first of all are you married uh, not well you know I don't think so but I might just be in <laughs> denial um, I, I do have I'm not married but I do have a beautiful lovely lady in my life uh, okay. she lives in Costa Rica uh, <laughs> I wonder if she knows what you're talking about like when you're actually joking or whether you're you're real in fact one, one of one of your greatest quotes of all time is and I quote you humor and seriousness are perhaps two important keys that open the doors to our heart and soul 
If we have one、mm. and not the other, we're at least half locked out of our own self. And I really like that.、Um, can, can you elaborate on that, please? Uh, sure, uh, man. That, I'm I'm glad that you said that. I said that. <laughs> I don't remember saying that, but that sounds pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, you know, humor and seriousness. In fact, I a word that I like even more now that rather than seriousness is sincerity. I seriously don't like the word serious anymore.、Mm. But to me, sincerity just I don't know. It, it gets a little bit more to the heart of what I mean and. So, with that said, I think life is all about balance. I think how we get to know ourselves, how we get to be our authentic self, how we create depth in relationships with other people,、mm. how we find quality in our life and contentment, is seeking balance. I think balance is really the key. So when you have these two ends of the spectrum, humor on one hand, it's kind of like the South Pole, and then、uh, sincerity on the other, it's kind of like the North Pole.、Uh, if you don't, if you only allow yourself to have one, then in my opinion, you're stuck in one of the extremes.、Mm. And you know, I think you know, peace of mind, joy, quality of life isn't found in the extremes. I think it's found in the space in between. Yet I think we have to know the extremes in order to find the space in between. So to me, it's not a matter of don't go to the extremes. It's a matter of yes, do go to the extremes. Just go to both of them. <laughs> so I I think when we're Only able to be sincere and serious,、hmm, we're stuck and constipated. <laughs> We are in one state of mind, state of heart, and the state of mind is pretty much a disconnection from our heart,、um, and we don't move. So we're really rigid. And then on the other hand, I don't want to just glorify humor. I think humor, much like sincerity, it's got a light side, but it's also got a shadow side. And I think we get eaten by the shadow side of humor when we are stuck in it.、Mm. But if we can be dynamic and flow, just, I mean, just like Bruce Lee would say, be like water. It's like, okay, Bruce, you could beat me up, so I'm going to believe you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is really funny. Uh, an example of this: one of my absolute best friends, guy named Drew. We've been just like brothers since we've been 11 years old. He recently lost a brother. Now, typically, when Drew and I are together, we're laughing, joking around. It's amazing. But of course, when you know his wife let me know his brother passed away, and I called him up, and it was very situationally appropriate for me to be sincere.、Mm. I mean, the last thing that would Uh, help Drew is me deflecting from humor and trying to make a joke out of him losing a brother.、Yeah. Uh, so, and then there's many other times where I think we would be well balanced to have a humorous, playful perspective. Yet we're stuck in this, you know, need for certainty, and the need for certainty breeds seriousness. And and truly, I think when we need to be certain, really that just means we're in a fear-based reaction. We're under a stress response.、Mm -hmm. The need for certainty is really just a, a, a method of trying to create control, and then we create control through、uh, the rigid rigidity. That's, that's a, a nice word. word rigidity.、Um, <clears throat> 
Yeah, the rigidity of seriousness. So, man, uh, so so many times we need to be a little bit more humorous to find our balance. Mm -hmm. So, nonetheless, when we can know those two extremes, it's like knowing the yin, knowing the yang, allowing them both to be parts of the whole of ourself. I do think that acts like the key to help open our mind, our heart, and our soul, rather than keeping our mind closed through the rigidity of being stuck in one of those two uh, polar extremes. There's that word again. Uh, you've had 32 million YouTube videos. That's pretty awesome, man. I mean, can you, for those listening, because everybody wants to be like you, right? We all want to have. Thir- we all want to have. <laughs> That's what I tell. I tell people they want to be like. We me. all want to have. Not many people believe me for some reason. We all want to go viral, right? We I, we all want to go viral. Oh, go viral. So. <laughs> Can you tell us, though, because, you know, you're not a god, right? You're a human being, like like the rest of us. You might look like a, a, a Jesus, but what was the first <laughs> video you ever made? Because I want to hear about something, you know, something that you failed at um, p- really badly, just so that we we can put you in a different yeah. light. So we can sort of say, well, J.P. Sears is really big now, but he was a joke one, once upon a time, right? Well, what was your first video? Oh, v- very much, and, and I, I actually really appreciate you calling or shining the light on the, um, you know, the unglorious parts. <laughs> I think sometimes we we look at like an overnight success, and we do ourselves a disservice by be- believing the story that says they're an overnight success. It's like we don't realize that that overnight success took 15 years to make. And the overnight success, it's not even an overnight success. It just (laughs) means we woke up one morning and noticed that person. So we think they're... So, yeah, my first YouTube video was called... What the heck was it called? Um, How to Thrive as an Introvert. Hmm. And it it wasn't meant to be comedy. I did, uh, you know, just sincere life advice videos for a year and a half before I did even my first comedy video. In that video, um, you know, all those early videos, I kept them on my YouTube channel because I don't want to deceive people into thinking that I was like, you know, pretty well polished, Mm -hmm. you know, viral right from the get go. (laughs) But man, I am boring as hell on that video. (laughs) I I think there's like sort of decent information, Hmm. but it... It's not at all a glorious video. Well, I'm going to link that in the show notes for those of you that are listening that want to watch that. Want to watch that. We'll make sure we put it. And I have a, <laughs> I had a collared shirt on. I was trying to be professional. Like I never wear collared shirts. I was being someone who I'm not. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, by the time I had my first viral video, about a year and a half after the. Um, the flop. How to thrive as an introvert. You know that introvert video. It had maybe a thousand views on it. it and, and I was so proud of that. It's like, wow, this video is doing really well. It's got almost a thousand views over the course of a year and a half. And, <laughs> and that was awesome. I'm still so proud of that. Right. Sorry. Um, so, you know, it, it, and when we look at failures, and I, I think I'm probably preaching to the choir because I know you're a very in-tune man. But I think when we look at failures, what we're really looking at is stepping stones, not failures. I think when we call something a failure, we're really just trying, we're playing a little trick on ourselves. We call it a failure because we haven't seen the purpose of it yet. We haven't seen how this has been a very serendipitous uh, aspect of our destiny that's getting us to go, uh, getting us where we're needing to go. Mm. So it's like, you know, the muddy pile of, cow manure we just stepped in Mm. we realize 
that was a step that's getting <laughs> us further along in our journey. I really like that. That's very, um, yeah, it's very vivid. Thank you. Um, now, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a barefoot step. We should Let's put sound effects. Vivid. I'm going to start adding sound effects to this uh, to this podcast show. You know, we do like a little squelch <laughs> after you talk about mm. the game. Now, by the way, take it to the next level. I love it. Now, you talk about how shame is at the root of self-sabotage. So, how can people mm. become more shameless like you? It's a good question. You know, I would say embracing of our shame and healing of our shame is the goal. And aiming for uh, the state of heart called vulnerability, that's so easy to say and it's a hell of a struggle to do, but nonetheless, becoming vulnerable is the goal. And if I were to put my two cents on what does it mean to be vulnerable, it means we feel our feelings, period. Ideally, we feel our feelings when we're feeling them. But if you're like me, then you realize you probably spent a lot of your childhood and probably a lot of your adulthood not feeling your feelings. Mm. And we can go under the hypnotic trance that convinces us that what we don't feel isn't there. Yeah. Like we buy into this hallucinogenic show of our five senses where we believe if I can't see, smell, hear, taste, or feel it, then it doesn't exist. Yet, what if it does? I do believe that what we don't know about ourselves uh, absolutely controls us. Hmm. Uh, far more than what we do know about ourselves. And I think there's far more that we don't know about ourselves compared to what we do know about ourselves. So, with that said, whether it's shame that in, uh, we experience in the moment, uh, maybe we freeze up and make what we call a mistake in a meeting or an interaction or a performance, or if it's a shame from our childhood, the goal is to become vulnerable with it, feel those feelings, regardless when they were embedded into our system. I mean, it's just kind of like shame from my childhood. It's like I ate a meal when I was two, <laughs> and, I ha and I haven't pooped that out yet. <laughs> it's still inside of me. So, we feeling is the evidence of healing, and we know that's absolutely true because it rhymes. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. It's like, oh, wow, that rhymes. That is scientific right there. So, we can't heal what we don't feel. Not so, feeling is the evidence of healing, and when we're feeling our feelings, it doesn't necessarily mean it feels good, though if they're happiness, joy, gratitude, we, we judge that to feel good. But even the, the uncomfortable ones, shame, fear, anger, guilt, jealousy, feeling those feelings is healing, in my opinion. And it's also healthy. Just because it doesn't feel good doesn't mean it's bad for you. Sometimes, and I think especially with emotional healing, if something feels bad short term, then long term it's good for us. Mm. And I think the opposite is true. If something feels yeah. good short term, like disconnection from my emotion, yeah. like, oh, I have shame, let me not feel that. Let me eat sugar. Let me look on Facebook so I can dissociate from my feelings inside. <laughs> so I feel better short term, but that makes me worse, makes me feel worse long term. You know, you've done a lot of risque videos, you know, very um, <clears throat> controversial, right? You know, um, atheists, religion, spirituality, yoga, meat, you know, all that. And um, I'm sure you've probably got a lot of haters. H how do you deal with your haters? 
Um, and also, also, just for fun, can you share the worst thing that you received from a hater? Yeah, well, you know, all those messages that you've sent me, Daniel, have been <laughs> very hurtful. I mean, I, I've, I've been in therapy over them, and I'm making progress. Just got to breathe. <laughs> no, it's a great question. You know, I think, and, be, and I'm, I'm going to directly answer your question in a second. I hope so. Yet, a thought that, You're not going to be one of these gurus that kind of fly up into the sky and, you know, kind of give me this cloudy, kind of vague, you know. Yeah, yeah let me tell you about astrology. <laughs> um, but I think sometimes myself and probably lots of other people, we hold back from taking risks because we're afraid of the hate. We're in, you know, the haters, really what that means is people that are trying to reject us. So we reject rejection before it can encounter us. And how we reject rejection is by avoiding taking risks. We avoid allowing our inner genius a chance to freaking shine. And, and that makes life feel very safe. And I'll tell you, it makes life feel not very purposeful too, not very meaningful. So with that said, haters, I, yeah, you do anything online, there is just this interesting dynamic, and I know everybody knows this, and I'm just saying it, uh, this interesting dynamic where when people feel like crap about themselves, they can go bully other people without very much in the way of consequence. Mm. You know, haters online are, they're people who hurt inside. And we all know, you know, the bully on the playground is the person who feels the most afraid and ashamed of themselves. We know that. So they just project how they feel about themselves crummy. Mm. They project that on other people and treat themselves, treat other people the way they feel about themselves. So we know that about bullies. And I think sometimes we have to remind ourselves haters online are expressing bullying behavior. And these people, when they're doing it, they're, they're of course, fearful people. That's why they, because they're so afraid, they go to this alleged safe space where they can treat people how they feel about themselves, again, which is crummy. Um, and they do that because there's no consequences. You know, like, Daniel, if I came up to you on the street and I just say, you are the most ignorant jerk. How dare you believe this? You have, And I'm just going off on you in a, you know, a hater bullying kind of way. There's consequences. Like, one, I'm going to see your face. <laughs> I might actually see your face. I might see you register hurt. And then a consequence for me is like, wow, I, I hurt you. And I can actually see that. Mm. Or another consequence is you get angry and you beat me up. But online, it's, of course, safe. So first and foremost, I like to understand. I don't approve, but I like to understand that haters are very, very hurt people inside. Um, and I think another thing that drives haters aside from their unresolved hurt inside is when they see people doing things that they themselves are afraid to do their own version of. They're afraid to take the risk of letting their gifts shine. When they see other people shining their gifts, they don't like it because it reminds them of how much they're defended towards their own gifts, how much they're dimming their own light bulbs. But if they never see anybody shine, they're not really reminded. They don't have a contrast to how dim they're making themselves. So they like to attack people for shining 
because they don't know how to shine themselves. I think they have plenty of shine in them, but they haven't given themselves permission to take the risk of letting their shine shine. So, no, not long story no, short. But what was the um, worst thing that you received from from a hater? Any any anything come yeah, out particularly? Y- you know this the specifics don't register, but you know the the summary of it would would be something along the lines of, you know, JP, you are a terrible person. You are you have no business, uh, you know, making a video on whatever vegans. <laughs> And I hope you rot in hell. No way. And there's probably some other uh, expletives, expletives yeah. <laughs> thrown in there as well. And do you sleep well at night? Yeah, I, I do. I do. And once in a while, when I see a hater comment, like I'll, I'll feel a little sting from it. Once in a while, I'll feel a little heat. My pulse elevates. And I never engage. I, I never do nobody has ever changed anybody's mind in an emotionally charged conversation online it is just if you engage with it you're throwing fuel on the fire Mm. and the only one that gets burnt is you you lose your peace of mind um so all things considered though i do occasionally have a little emotional sting from it uh, i tend to sleep pretty good at night (laughs) and and daniel i'll tell you this the youtube algorithms have it where the more comments that are left on your video the better that video will rank in the YouTube search engine. Hmm. And that's not the more positive comments. It's just the more comments. <laughs> so, you know, honestly, the the interesting thing is, like, if someone's leaving a, a hateful comment, that actually helps the algorithm more than <laughs> if they left no comments. So thank you, haters. Thank you, haters. Appreciate your help. How do you where, where do you get the inspiration for your for your videos? Like you you've pumped out quite a lot. How many videos have you done now? Uh, Let's see. On on my channel, I have over hundred fifty videos, right. and of those, um, what probably about fifty five or so are comedy videos. The rest are the sincere videos. Hmm. And where I get my inspiration from a couple places, and specifically here talking about the comedy videos. First and foremost, my life. Uh, typically in a comedy video, uh, when I'm portraying a subject, it's because I'm that subject is alive and active in one way or another in my life, maybe directly, maybe a little bit indirectly. So I look at my life and I also look at how am I becoming dogmatic? What am I taking too seriously? What is my ego using to build a sense of significance while camouflaging it as some altruistic noble act? So there's just been so much in my kind of spiritual practice, self-growth practice, which has been like really important and helpful to me, but also so much material where I've realized, well, my ego really gratifies itself. My ego gratifies itself on being gluten-free longer than other people. My ego gratifies itself by being more meditative, more conscious, more aware than other people. So it's like sometimes my spiritual practice is used in ways that are antagonistic to spirituality. So I want to call I want to call myself out. I want to take away my ego's hiding spots. Wow. And uh, my videos help me. So, I, in other words, I get inspired by my dysfunction. <laughs> the things I'm doing uh, really inspire me. Which one, which, and then, of all the videos, which one 
are you most proud of? That's a great question. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, I think the video I'm most proud of would be the first comedy video I did called How to Be Ultra Spiritual. That was me walking through a rite of passage uh, into new territory. It was you know, the territory of comedy, and it was territory that I had told myself would be bad for business. Uh, you know, emotional healing coaches, spiritual people, they're not supposed to be funny. So this is going to be bad for your <laughs> business, JP. Um, but I, I couldn't keep betraying myself. I couldn't keep my natural sense of humor out of my professional life any longer. So while I, and I love the content of that, that video, How to Be Ultra Spiritual, mm -hmm. that combined with the rite of passage that it represented to me, I think makes that video the one I'm most proud of. And you know what's really cool is that you, you took a big risk because I don't think a lot of people know this, but you, you are a consultant in real life. Like, that's what you do, right? You, you're a spiritual, uh, would you call it consultant, coach, mentor, whatever it is, right? Yeah, a con artist. I yeah, just picked this money. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, no, so, so there you are doing yeah. that, and you you take this you take this big risk by putting this video out, and it could completely fail um, and ruin your business. Sure. But in, in you know, thankfully it didn't, and and you're probably obviously charging a lot more and getting a lot more business than you ever did. So so that's it's incredible. But you you sort of took that step of courage, um, and it's amazing. Um, why? Why, why, yeah. why do you think people medicate, and, and what is your choice of drug? Yeah, well, why I think people medicate, and there's so many ways people do that. It can be as simple as food. It can be as simple as sugar. It can be as simple as pick up my phone and let me scroll through Facebook. It could be as simple as you're, simp you're psychologically dissociating from yourself, so you're not necessarily doing anything, but you're medicated through a disconnection of yourself. Some people, of course, it can be alcohol, it can be drugs. And why I think people medicate uh, from themselves is they have a fear of feeling their feelings. They have a fear of feeling their fear. Uh, they feel ashamed of feeling their shame. So essentially, when people have an emotional charge about their emotion, we seek disconnection. We seek medication. Um, and I think that actually drives us nuts because the, the most tormenting feeling is numbness. It's just like, have you ever woke up in the middle of the night? You've been sleeping on your arm. Yeah. Your arm's numb. Yeah. It's a very well, unnerving If you're sitting on the feeling. toilet and you, you look for your Facebook feed for too long, you start getting numb in your Abs thighs, right? Yeah, yeah, and I have that problem. I tend to watch my own videos because <laughs> I'm a narcissist. So 45 minutes in, ah, my legs are numb. So we we've all had the ex so I think we've all had the experience whether it's on the toilet or falling asleep on our arm, where a body part goes numb, and that's very unnerving. But just imagine that's your whole being, not just one arm, but your whole being. So when we're numb, we're we're in a place of torment. But of course. That's a self-induced place of torment. We make ourselves numb through medication. So it's let me avoid this uncomfortable feeling inside of me in the short term and long term. That makes me way more uncomfortable. I become more and more progressively numb the more I self-medicate. 
so, but you say that, JP. But I, can I? Can I? Am I allowed to argue with you? Are wait, the, Daniel? You're acting like this is your podcast. You're getting yeah. a little self righteous. Yeah. You think you have the right to talk? Yeah, I know. I mean, I'm speaking. <laughs> Let's hear, it, brother. Yeah, I'm speaking to the guru, so I need to be careful. Like you know, to to, I have to be respectful. Um, <laughs> you say that, but a lot of a lot of times, you know, we tend to, you know go for our drug uh, or, or we, we drug ourselves even when we're in a good mood or when things are going great a lot of the times when things are going really well yeah. sometimes I'll just I don't know just medicate myself and, and like kind of just like hide from the world why am I doing that if, if I'm feeling good if, I'm, if things are going well yeah well I love the question my delusional opinion on that <laughs> is are we afraid of our uncomfortable feelings yes are we afraid of our empowering feelings? Yes. So, you know, it's kind of like you have this, let's just say you have this amazing achievement. You have so much happiness. What do a lot of people do? They go out and get absolutely inebriated. <laughs> and we, we call that, oh, we're celebrating. But I think you raise a great point. Well, may, it's like one part celebrating and three parts disconnecting from the intense happiness you have. So I think a lot of people, you know, when we have these great, what we would call amazing feelings, one of the reasons why we would be afraid of them is there's a part of us that feels like we don't deserve them. I am not worth feeling this. And then another reason is we're afraid we're going to lose it. Uh, so, yeah. so we medicate our happiness so that we can be the one in control of making it go away. But if it just leaves or if someone else takes us, that makes us feel out of control. And feeling out of control is something that we, it's like the human ego has an allergy to. So we can just medicate away our happiness in the name of having a sense of control. It's amazing. People are willing to die in the name of having a sense of control. It's, it's just like a religious war. Mm. I'm here, I honor control, and I'm willing to die for it. It's like, wow. And I think, personally, I think a good life in terms of success and more significantly inner fulfillment is found through surrender, mm. not control. And part of your question, uh, what's my drug of choice? Uh, there's two things. Uh, caffeine is one of them. Mm -hmm. you know, you're like, JP, wow, you've ruined your life. You lay in the gutter all day and you inject caffeine. So, Snort you know, coffee it, beans. It, it doesn't look ridiculous. I'll typically have one, one coffee a day, sometimes two. And then, but the more significant drug of choice for me is work. Uh, I can be a workaholic. I get high on the sense of productivity, mm -hmm. which is a, a way of like, I feel the superficial gratification. Oh, I'm being productive. And again, I'll probably some endorphin and serotonin release because of that. But to a part of me that's covering up a sense of insignificance I have inside that I still need to work with. So medicating through the illusion of significance that I get through productivity uh, numbs away the sense of insignificance that I still carry inside. Wow. 
So, so mostly so far, everything that we've discussed have, has been purely theoretical, which is wonderful. Um, so now I want to get really practical. So uh, JP, what are the 43 tips you can share with our listeners to help them become more shameless? Tip number one Wait, of 43. We're not really doing 43. We don't have time. <laughs> okay, we'll do 42. We'll do the quick version. <laughs> Deliberately feeling your body sensations is a number one recommendation. And it, even if it's a two-minute feeling meditation, uh, the goal of it is go into your body and feel the dominant body sensations. And I'm talking about like real feelings, sensations, not even emotions, but sensations. Like is there tightness in your chest? Is there tingling in your legs? Feel those sensations. That strengthens the muscles of feelings. Typically, our feeling muscles are just atrophied. It's just like, oh, there's, there's no meat on the bone. There's no strength in our feeling muscles. Um, tip number two, in my opinion, would be breathe. So many of us, uh, of course, we breathe, we're still alive, but we don't <laughs> breathe fully. Making sure we have our, our breathing um, deep and slow throughout the day. I, I'll oftentimes have post-it note reminders on my desk just to trigger that. When we're breathing shallow, that's one of the ways we physiologically disconnect from feelings. And it typically creates anxiety physiologically, but it also creates disconnection from more core emotions. And then let me throw just one more out there. Mm -hmm. And this one, um, I mean, it's hard to argue. Maybe it could be the most important. I don't know. Do something deliberate. To make yourself uncomfortable, hmm. preferably every day. Now, that can be physical. It can be psychological. Preferably a mix of the two. Can you give a few uh, examples? One day to the next. Yeah, so every morning I start my day with a cold shower. Oh. So that is intentionally embracing no. discomfort. Sometimes... I'm sorry, say that again. I can't, I can't do cold showers. Oh, man, that's torture. That's real torture, man. Well, it is torture, but it's therapeutic torture. <laughs> In fact, it wouldn't be worth doing if it wasn't torture, because what that does is it trains you discomfort is okay, and I can actually master the discomfort rather than being a slave to it. So I want to essentially be the one, you know, the, the king of the domain rather than having the discomfort be the king of the domain, mm -hmm. which means I'm going to be obedient to it, mostly via uh, avoiding it. So it's a bit of a psychological training mechanism. Like, oh, discomfort, not only can I dominate it, but look, I did it. I became uncomfortable and I didn't die. A lot of times we fear for our lives uh, psychologically and uh, mostly psychologically, actually, uh, it, over things that would never end our life. Um, and then psychologically speaking, this, you know, making yourself deliberately uncomfortable uh, would have a lot to do with taking risks. I've got a friend of mine, he's actually, this is a a little bit of a dramatic, but I think a great <laughs> example of it. Uh, he he travels all the time for work, and he'll uh, do Facebook Live videos where he's on the airplane, 
and he starts singing a song oh, no. and he's trying to get everybody else involved. <laughs> and you know, there's some people on the airplane that are just giving him just the meanest <laughs> looks and there's other people getting into it. But, but the reason why he does it is that's his deliberate practice of inducing discomfort on himself. Mm. You know, we, we, we need to be exposed to an environment in order to make ourselves stronger. Hmm. So we'll just be a weakling when it comes to discomfort if we never expose ourselves to that environment. But just like weight training, if you expose yourself to weights, Hmm. you actually become stronger. Oh yeah. Can you, can you give Hmm. our, can you give our listeners a challenge? Give them a challenge. One, one thing that you want them to do within the next 24 hours to get out of their comfort zone. What would it be? Yes. In person, Uh, whether it's a friend, family member, or a colleague, look someone in the eyes, hold the eye contact, and tell them why you are grateful for them. Oh, no. Shoot. Do I have to do this as well? Crap. Well, you... uh, (laughs) Daniel, I'm just going to ask you uh, to do this with everybody you know because you (laughs) need the most work. That's all. Oh, man. JB, what's the... What's the, and for those listening, by the way, uh, send us an email. Send me an email. I'll let JP know if, if he cares. Um, but send me an email if you do it and let me know your results. I, I'm very interested. Yeah. Um, JP, what's the best way for my listeners to get in touch with you? Well, uh, the best way, all my social media handles are Awaken with JP. Very cool. And just before we go, by the way, what does JP stand for? John Paul? Just perfect. Oh, just perfect. Nice one. Well, <laughs> And the alternate reality on that is Jonathan Patrick. Very cool. Jonathan Patrick, this has been a ton of fun. It's a real shame for it to end. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, JP, thanks so much. <laughs> thanks for letting me pick your brain. Thank you to my fellow brain pickers. I'm looking forward to the day when I'll be picking your brain. You've been listening to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast. Inspiration without perspiration is like a tiger without teeth. So to put these ideas into action, head over to danielgeffen.com.